0: Good morning to each of you. Um, As Barr said, we have the privilege of coming to the Lord's Table here in a little bit, but as always, it's my honor to spend some time studying the Word and remind us why we so desperately need Christ. Um, That is always a fixture of the Lord's Table, is to first be reminded of why we so desperately need Him. Uh, so it's my honor to do that. Um, it's our second week in our series, uh, The Season of Advent, in our series that we have been looking at. People that maybe if you were to read these stories, you might think of them less significant, but yet that would be a mistake, because it would mis- be a mistake, because God, in his infinite wisdom, chose from all time to bestow honor. On these individuals. And so we're looking at their lives and tying them even to our own. Last week, we looked at the story of Tamar in Genesis 38. And this week, we'll be looking at the story of Rahab in Joshua 2. If you want to start turning there, Joshua 2, verses 1 through 21. The book of Joshua, if you're unfamiliar with that, picks up the story of God's people after the death of Moses and as they're finishing 40 years of living in the wilderness. If you aren't familiar with Israel's history and how they ended up spending 40 years in the wilderness, God has rescued his people out of Egypt, and he's promised them this amazing land just over the Jordan called Canaan. Moses sends 12 spies to scout out the land, and Caleb and Joshua are among those and the only ones who are kind of come back with a favorable report of not only is that the land of, of everything they could possibly want, but it's theirs for the taking. But then all the other spies are very much like, no, these, these folks are too big, uh, and so they shy away from going and taking the land. So even though God has um, shown himself to intervene in time and space, to provide for his people, even though he has shown himself time and time again in, in the story of Egypt with the plagues that we talked about as a church, to, to come in and, and, and wow the people with his amazing provision. They find that this is too much for them, and they don't want to go in. Once the people see how big and bad the inhabitants are, how fortified all their cities are, they're afraid, and they're unwilling to trust God. In Numbers 13 through 14, God says in no certain terms that these people who came out of Egypt and saw all of these wonders and yet refused to trust me now will never see this land. And that they will wander in the the desert until this entire generation dies out. So 40 years later, Moses has died. Joshua has been called to lead the people of, of, of Israel. And guess what? The Canaanites are still there. Their cities are still strong. You might say strong as ever, but that would be, looks can be deceiving, as we'll see in our story this morning. I'm going to read the text for us, and I would urge you to follow along in your Bible, and I've said this multiple times, if you don't have a Bible, whether you're here or you're watching on the internet, we would love to get you one. So if you'll just reach out to us, we'll make sure that you have one. Um, just let us know, and we'll, we'll make one available to you free of charge. If you're able, though, would you stand in honor with me in God's word as I read it for us. Joshua 2, starting in verse 1. And Joshua the son of Nun sent two men secretly to Shittim, and as spies, saying, Go, view the land, especially Jericho. And they went and came into the house of a prostitute, whose name was Rahab, and lodged there. And it was told to the king of Jericho, Behold, men of Israel have come here tonight to search out the land. Then the king of Jericho sent to Rahab, saying, bring out the men who have come to you who entered your house for they have come to search out all the land but the woman had taken the men and hidden them and she said true the men came to me but i did not know where they came were from and when the gate was about to close at dark the men went out i do not know where the men went pursue them quickly for you will overtake them but she had brought them up to the roof and hid them in the stalks of flax that she had laid an order on the roof. So the men pursued after them on the way to the Jordan as far as the fords, and the gate was shut as soon as the pursuers had gone out. Before the men lay down, she came to them on the roof and said to the men, I know the Lord has given you the land, and that the fear of you has fallen upon us, and that all the inhabitants of the land melt away before you. For you, we have heard of the Lord has dried up the waters of the Red Sea before you when you came out to Egypt, and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan, to Shion and Og, whom you devoted to destruction. And as soon as we heard it, our hearts melted, and there was no spirit left in any man because of you. For the Lord your God, he is a God in heaven above and on the earth beneath. Now then, please swear to me by that, by the Lord by the Lord, that as I have dealt kindly with you, you will also deal kindly with my father's house and give me a sure sign that you will save alive my father and my mother, my brothers and sisters and all who belong to them and deliver our lives from death. And the men said to her, Our lives are yours even to death. If you do not tell this business of ours, then when the Lord gives us the land, we will deal kindly and faithfully with you. Then she let them down by a rope through the window of her house and was built, was, uh, for her house was built into the city wall so that she lived in the wall. And she said to them, go into the hills or your pursuers will encounter you and hide there three days until your pursuers have returned. Then afterwards you may go your way. The men said to her, we will be guiltless with respect to this oath of yours that you have made us swear, behold, when we come into the land, you shall tie the scarlet cord in the window through which you let us down, and you shall gather into your house and your father and your mother and your brothers and all in your father's household. Then, if anyone goes out of the doors of your house into the street, his blood shall be on his own head, and we shall be guiltless. But if a hand is laid on anyone who is with you in the house, his blood his blood shall be on our head. But if you tell this business of ours, then we shall be guiltless with respect to your oath that you have made us swear. And she said, According to your words, so be it. Then she sent them away, and they departed, and she tied the scarlet cord in the window. They departed and went into the hills and remained there three days until the pursuers returned. And the pursuers searched all along the way and found nothing. Then the two men returned. They came down from the hills and passed over and came to Joshua, the son of Nun. And they told him all that had happened to them, and they said to Joshua, truly the Lord has given all the land into our hands, and also all the inhabitants of the land melt away because of you. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our Lord stands forever. Would you be seated as I pray for us? Father, thank you this morning that as we dig into your word, uh, it is living and active, it is able to judge the thoughts and intentions of our hearts, it is able to uh, give us truth for our time and application for our lives. So Father, we pray that we would do that this morning, it would do that for us this morning through your spirit, by the blood of Jesus himself, amen. I want to share three things we see in the story of Rahab this morning, the first is the diversity of instrument. The second is the power of story. And the third is the beauty of adoption. The diversity of instrument, the power of story, and the beauty of adoption. So God has gifted his people this land, but they still had to take it by force. In their way is this highly fortified city of Jericho. Joshua sends two men into the city to scout it out potentially to either assess its power or look for weaknesses. Um, and it's here that God pulls together a very unlikely team. These two men from Israel come to stay at what most likely was a hostel for travels travelers, and it was operated by Rahab, who we're told was a prostitute. Word gets back to the king of Jericho that there are spies in the city, and they put out an all-points bulletin. Searching the city, scouring it for signs of these spies. And inevitably, they come knocking at Rahab's door. And very quickly, we see that in the person of Rahab, where her true allegiances lie, as well as our first evidence of Rahab's faith. The reality is, she could have turned these men in and potentially received either a reward or some sort of favor with the king. But instead, she hides the men, and she lies to her own people. She sends them on a wild goose chase, and in some ways kind of cheers them on. Pursue them quickly, and you will overtake them, she says. But the men are hiding in her house the whole time. What's interesting about this is the gate is still closed, so nobody is out of the woods yet. We're in this position where she has now lied to her people, sent them out on a wild goose chase. The men are not out of the city. They're not out of harm's way. They're hiding in this house, and they are stuck here together. Rahab, to our knowledge, has no prior history with Israel that we know of, no connections, and she has a lot to lose. We're told that she has a family here that obviously she cares about. She's made her living to this point off of Jericho's Pagan practices. As a prostitute, this is something that... uh, This this is a, a ripe place to live and work and thrive. And let's be honest, there's not a lot of career advancement in the career of prostitution with Israel. So at this moment, Rahab has become a traitor to her own people. And she's chosen to support a people in Israel without any sort of certainty that Israel will accept or protect her, other than the word of these two men. It's a pretty risky thing that she's doing. But if we truly believe in the sovereignty of God, and we believe that God has caused all things to work together for our good, then he could have caused the servant here to be a military general. How strategic would that be? that the very men commanding these men to go out and come forth and all this would be on the side of Israel. He could have caused the guards at the gate to bow the knee to Christ and just simply let them go and come as they please. He could have called the king himself to repentance and faith to help these men and to allow Israel to have the land. But he chooses a prostitute in a city full of pagans underneath the righteous judgment of God. And it's in this city full of pagans and with this prostitute that we find one who is faithful to God. Listen to our confession in verse 9. And he said to the men, I know that the Lord has given you the land and that the fear of you has fallen upon us and that all the inhabitants of the land melt away before you. For you have heard, we have heard of how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt, and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites. It goes on down to verse 11. And as soon as we heard it, our hearts melted, and there was no spirit left in any man because of you. For the Lord your God, He is God in the heavens above and on the earth beneath. Now right here, in this moment we're reminded of the power of story. Now these are things that the Israelites witnessed themselves, but yet in the wilderness over these 40 years, what do we hear? What constantly comes to Moses? Complaining. And what is inevitably what is said when the complaining starts is, we would have been better off in Egypt. Why did you drag us all the way out here with this God to eat manna and and to starve and to die? We were better off in Egypt. But right here in this moment, the story of God's faithfulness to the people of Israel has reached Rahab's ears and been effective. The very testimony or word of God has reached the people of Jericho's ears and has dealt a blow in the battle before the battle has even begun. We're reminded here that the word of God has the power to melt away, but it also has the power to draw in. The word of God here, the work has caused ninety-nine percent of Jericho to lose the will of fight, to lose the will to fight before the battle has even begun. But for Rahab, it has sparked life. Verses nine through eleven is her confession of faith: "For the Lord your God, He is God in the heavens above." and on the earth beneath that's almost a quote a direct quote from Deuteronomy of what God wants on the lips of his people so why is that, that often if we have this great thing in God this great testimony this great story this we've seen the water's part we've seen all these miracles that why is it in our personal relationships we often carry such shame and embarrassment when it comes to God and what he's done for us. We, we're, we're hesitant to share our stories of God's faithfulness in our own life. We've talked about this before. May, you know, for many of us, it's fear of rejection. Second Corinthians promises us that we're, we're to be an aroma of Christ, which is death to the perishing and life to those who are being saved. So in other words, inevitably, some people are not going to like your story. Some people are not going to connect to your story. And so out of fear of being rejected, we hold back our story. But in keeping silent, we forget the other part of that verse. We forget, what what about those that God is building life into? What about those who are being restored? What about the Rahabs of the world that have spent their life toiling away in the world, wishing that there was more? Perhaps if if you were a spy in this situation and you were coming into the city to look for weaknesses, knowing that the hammer of God is about to fall on the city and you meet a prostitute, maybe you would pass her over. Perhaps you would look past and say, you know, God's judgment is about to fall on all of them for being uh, apart from the Lord and and look what you do. So God's righteous hand and his judgment should, maybe we would pass her over because of her line of work. Certainly, she deserves what's coming to her. Let me ask you in your own story, in your own life, have you ever prejudged someone's worthiness? The truth is, Rahab has heard stories. She's heard stories that there's a God in Israel who fights and delivers his people. And they're right on the other side of the Jordan. Makes you wonder if she had thought about making a run for it to try to get over there. But yet all of a sudden, two of these men show up at her door. And she realizes at some point that they're from Israel. Something has happened to Rahab that has opened her eyes. God has gifted faith to a Canaanite named Rahab. And, and and listen to this. He has gifted her faith because he loved her from the foundation of the earth, and he has sought her out in her place. We see. We see the fruits of her faith in our text. It's made her willing to act very bravely because she's convinced that there's someone, there's someone of far surpassing value leading these people across the river. She doesn't fully know or understand all there is to know about God, all there is to know about Israel. She doesn't even know if they'll accept her fully, but she's convinced it's better. She's convinced it's worth the risk to get it for herself and for her family. Lastly, let's look at the beauty of adoption. Look at verse 12. Rahab has these men hidden in her house. She's bought some time, but she still needs to help them get out of the city because the gates are closed. And so what do we hear? Swear to me by the Lord. Now, if you're an Israelite, that's not a small thing to swear by the Lord. She seizes the opportunity while she has these men in this position, this leverage. She seizes the opportunity to change her life and the life of her family forever, and she has no idea to what degree her life is about to change. It's interesting. God has told Joshua that they're to destroy the city and all of its inhabitants. Now, wouldn't that include Rahab and her family? So the reality of what we see is a city under judgment because of their fallenness. But what we see in Rahab's story is the beauty of the gospel. That although Rahab may be Canaanite by birth, she is God's by adoption. And just in case you think that Rahab may sneak into the camp and then somehow kind of be an Israelite wannabe the rest of her life, God makes the story even better when we read Matthew 1. And as we're tracking the lineage... We read this, Salmon, the father of Boaz, by Rahab. Boaz, the father of Obed, by Ruth. Obed, the father of Jesse. Jesse, the father of David, the king. So just in case you think adoption makes you a sub-citizen in the kingdom of heaven, read that verse again. Meditate on that verse. Worship the God of God who made all of this fall into place in beautiful ways so that we could read this and we could worship. We could worship the story of our adoption all the way down to Christ himself through a prostitute from Canaan, from a city under the judgment of God about to be let loose. A sinner living amongst sinful people, condemned to die under the righteous judgment of God, but by the grace of God, but by the grace of God, visited, rescued, and adopted by God's family, and heirs with Christ. Now useful instruments in the Redeemer's hands, each given a unique and powerful story of redemption through adoption. As we think about this story, and even as we progress out of this room today, or you click off this feed and you think about other ways to apply this, I would love to challenge you to think about your own story. I think what we see in the story of Rahab is so beautiful, but but one might overlook it. One might only tell part of it. They may only tell the part of, Once I was an Israelite, once I kind of got in and and married, and and then I became kind of a full person. But my history, I don't want people to know I'm from Jericho. I don't want people to know that everyone except my family, all my lineage, all my history is dead. It's been judged and it's gone. We may have a temptation to not value that story, that part of her story, just like we don't value parts of our own story. And so I would love for us to consider the fullness, the breadth of knowledge and wisdom that God had in writing your story and how all of it works together for our good and for the good of God's people, that as their stories go, they reach places that maybe we didn't think they would reach. And they're not always accepted, but they are by those that God has called they're powerful and effective through His Word and through His Spirit. Do you remember what it feels like to be in awe of God? All that God loved and chose you from the foundations of the world? Or is that something that's, as, as you live the Christian life, that just sort of wears off over time and you forget? If that's the case for you, then the table... Is, is, is why we offer the table so regularly. The table is meant to remind us of our story. It's meant to remind us of our brokenness. It's meant to remind us of Christ and all that he was for us. But it's more than a memory. It's also meant to encourage. It's meant to nourish us. If you are a child of God, then your story holds the entirety of the gospel, just like Rahab's. You didn't get here by chance or by accident. No one sneaks into the kingdom of God. You are summoned here by the king himself. And so as we come to this table, it's not because you've snuck in. It's not in the hopes that you somehow can get one of these cups somehow. It's because you were summoned here by the king himself. If you're like Rahab this morning, then I, I, I don't have to tell you any of this. You're ready. You're ready for this table to be open you are you are ready to rush it and receive the spiritual nourishment and encouragement that he promises to us but if we look at the life of Jesus's ministry we see so much of it is de- it's devoted it is devoted to church people people who maybe maybe experienced the awe but it has worn off and they've lost their appetite and so this morning The table is just kind of this thing we do. I would ask you to wrestle with this question. Who do you want more? Christ or anything else? Let's pray together. Father, we thank you this morning that as we come to the table, we come because you opened it to us, you have provided it for us, and you promise things even here for us, nourishment, encouragement, greater understanding and wisdom and knowledge. So Father, I pray that you would do your work now, that would be powerful and effective, May your word dwell richly in your people. Help us to apply these things. In Jesus' name, amen.